I'm Jennifer Kennedy, the lead for quality at CHAP, and welcome to this month's CHAPcast. Today, I'm so delighted to talk with uh, another hospice expert and a friend, uh, Katie Weary from Knock, and we're going to be talking about many uh, must-know items um, for hospice care and things that are happening in hospice. Welcome, Katie, and Happy New Year. I'm so glad you're with me today. Happy New Year, and thank you so much for having me. It's so great to talk with you again. It's been a while, and this is a great time for us to kind of, as we start the new year, hit all these really important topics that everybody's dealing with right now. Oh my God, there's Um, so many, right? But before we jump in, Katie, can you introduce introduce yourself to uh, our listeners and um, talk a little bit about what Knock is? Sure, absolutely. Well, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice is the largest professional association, and we represent the interest of chronically ill, seriously ill individuals all across America. And we represent the interest of about 35,000 different hospice and home care organizations. I am the director of Home Health and Hospice Regulatory Affairs at the association, and I've been working with NAC for about a decade now. But this is, um, I think, my 33rd year in hospice. Um, And prior to working with NAC, I was working with hospices on the administrative side of care in various roles throughout the Midwest, primarily. Well, that's great. Very glad to be with you today. (laughs) <laughs> That's a long time. And showing my age. Yeah, well, I, I won't say how many years I, I've been around the block, but um, thank you for all your service. I mean, it, it's it's much needed. So how did we get here today? Um, my colleague and our producer, uh, Dan McFilmy, we, we looked at your email that came out from your organization, uh, I want to say like late December. It sort of gave the laundry list, if you will, of you know items that... Uh, are happening in uh, the hospice uh, space. And quite a long list there, Katie, of things that are happening. And we're like, oh my gosh, we need to really um, uh, talk to someone from Knock. And you're the first one who popped into my head because we've known each other for um, so many years to to really give us that you know high level of what's happening with several of these items. And again, thank you for coming on to, to talk to us about it. I want to start out with V-Bed. Oh, V-Bed. Gosh, that's been like the, I don't know, I, do I call it a bane? I think many uh, hospice providers think it's a bane, <laughs> but um, what what's happening with the V-Bed um, demo right now? Sure. And I think um, as we think about um, V-Bed, just a couple of um, reminders for myself even about how we got here and, and why we're even here, you know, for 40 years hospices um, were carved out, if you will, from Medicare Advantage. And then um, this Medicare Advantage value-based insurance design um, demonstration model was put into place. And really what um, CMS has focused on and CMMI, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, as you know, where um, MAV bid lives, really, um, they've made it very clear that um, their goal is, I think, by 2030 to have every single Medicare beneficiary tied with some sort of value-based payment program. So that's how this all started. And I kind of have to remind myself of that. Like you said, it's, it's 
not really been in existence for a while, but with all the issues that we've dealt with, it seems like a very long time. So the model was started in 2021. It's expected to go through 2024. Um, so we've just started that, that third year of the model. And we just recently got our first insight into kind of the evaluation. Is there a report available? There is. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I think we can even provide a link. Um, you can share that with um, the Chapcast listeners um, later on. Right. But the evaluation came out in the fall mm-hmm. of 22. Now it's an evaluation of the first year. So a lot remains to be seen yet. You know, without any data, they really couldn't get into um, quality components because there's really no comparison. So we expect more information on utilization, more information on the quality component of MAV bid in those future years evaluations. But from that um, first year insight that we had, there's some one really very interesting uh, piece of data that I wanted to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is, um, that is that the first year of MAV bid had about 9,600 enrollees. And when you compare that number to the number of enrollees prior to VBID being implemented, it's the same. Is it really? It is the same. So there's no, um, that may change as the years go on here. I think I saw somewhere that in 2022, CMS was expecting 20,000 enrollees to take advantage of um, hospice. Now, whether or not that occurred, we won't know yet. It'll take probably until fall of 2023 until we see that 22 right. report. Yeah, see that I thought data. that was very interesting. That is interesting. There's not a lot of... Just yeah. a not a lot of uptake, yeah? <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you know, whether we like it or we don't like it, you know, Value-based purchasing is in the healthcare continuum, and um, that's the direction that it is going. And for me, thinking about quality, uh, I like that quality could maybe be driven uh, by incentive payment. So um, I guess we'll see how this VBID works out. Any other updates other than the report on, on what's happening with that? Um, I think taking a look at the report will give folks really what they need to know. Um, there is some more information in there. Um, also, the um, 2023 um, information was released regarding the number of plans that are going to be participating because that's one of the key um, differentiators about the MAV bid program is that Participation is voluntary on the part of the payer, so this is not laid out nationally, and perhaps that's part of the reason that we aren't seeing um, a lot of enrollees, but more information about um, the number of participating plans and the areas in which they are is also now available for calendar year 2023, and folks, I think those are the two things folks want to look at. That's great. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll include those um, links with the CHAPcast. So can we switch gears a little bit? Um, sure. Talk about MedPAC, um, MedPAC recommendation about the hospice cap. This has been an ongoing discussion that you and I know has been ongoing for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I saw in your update that um, you were giving um, the hospice provider community an update of what's happening with that. So where are we at with 
hospice cap and med pack. Sure. Um, as you said, there was this uh, threat that we thought um, MedPAC had recommended way back um, for a while now changes to the way the aggregate cap is calculated. And I think it was 2020. They um, recommended that um, CMS do two things to the cap. The big one was to cut it straight cut by 20% and then also to wage adjust it. You know, right. um, the hospice payment rates are wage adjusted based on mm -hmm. geographic locations. And right now the cap is not. So they made that recommendation. And in fact, we were quite concerned that as um, we were closing out 2022, we were going to see that uh, Congress maybe took that recommendation and enacted that, but that did not happen in the final um, budget package. So we were pleased to see that. However, it still very much remains um, a threat, if you will. So it's on the table um, still, yeah? I think that recommendation is out there. And I think there was an interest in from some of the congressional offices and learning a little bit more about it. So I think it's entirely possible that the cap could be cut. I think what we have to remember here is you know, what, what MedPAC is really trying to do is to control, um, you know, length of stay of hospice patients. Right. And, and the CAPS can do that um, in some ways, but it doesn't really affect eligibility of the hospice patient at all. And one very important point about the CAP um, is that there's really going to be a cut to um, the total aggregate CAP level for hospices regardless of um, this aggregate cap cut recommendation by MedPAC, whether or not that's um, implemented. And the big change that's resulting in this cut is the change in the way the cap is calculated. So without getting into a lot of detail, there's um, different economic indexes <laughs> yeah, that are God, used to calculate the cap. You're going to lose me. <laughs> and, well, I don't want to get too far into it, but there was a big change that occurred with the impact act and the way that the cap was calculated. And actually what right. happens is that that change in calculation actually does um, reduce the cap by about 20% over what it would have been without that change. So we've, we're already seeing this um, slow progression in a cut to the cap over what it would have been with this calculation change. And then if we see an additional cut, that could really have significant impact on access to care. We believe that there would be um, changes to the way hospices accept patients out of necessity. Oh, absolutely. Based on the cuts to the cap. And that's a, a concern, big concern. Yeah. Because yeah. the patients that would probably maybe not have access to hospice the way they do today are those patients that typically have that longer length of stay. So those patients with, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and those dementia type right. diagnoses. So this is one to watch um, and see see what happens. I know MedPAC is actually um, meeting this month. They're going to finalize some more recommendations around hospice. And they're going to be talking about this. Yeah, it makes the great case for palliative care, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to end this podcast on a high note. But before we do that um, and talk about um, telehealth uh, recertification, we can't ignore, you know, some of the blaring articles that have come out in the past, you know, six weeks, two months about hospice fraud. 
And every time, and I know you you're saying, you know, 33 years uh, in hospice, that breaks my heart when I read um, as someone mm-hmm. who's, you know, actually bed at the bedside, taking care of someone who's on that journey um, to, to see some of and read some of this stuff that is happening. It's just heartbreaking and appalling, quite frankly, you know, so I'm right with you. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know that I can, you know, describe it any more than that, but um, I saw in your notice that you did talk a little bit about hospice fraud and, um, you know, re- recommendations to Congress. So um, can you fill our listeners in on, on what's happening on that front? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think, as you said, we need to recognize as much as it pains us, um, we need to recognize that there are some um, bad actors in the hospice arena. Um, certainly don't like to think about it, but there, there are. And yeah. that does not represent the majority of providers at all. Um, but there are still some issues. And a recent New Yorker article raised some of those issues. We have, as you mentioned, some of the other articles from the previous uh, couple of years. And I think that um, with those issues raised, there is now um, a higher interest from congressional offices in this particular area. This and, feels like 2019 um, all over again, doesn't it? It does. God. It does. And there probably should be some um, changes occurring within um, the hospice program, the way um, our regulations are set up um, to make it more difficult for providers who are not delivering care the way it should be delivered um, and who aren't getting into hospice, you know, for the right reasons to take care of these beneficiaries in the right way um, to bring some attention to those folks so to make it a little bit harder for them to continue um, providing hospice services and to get Medicare certified. That's probably going to take some changes at the state level. You know, recently that New Yorker article talked about some of the states, Western states, California, Arizona area, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing this great proliferation of hospices. So there's definitely going to be some action, I think, that needs to take place at the state level. But there's also probably some legislative as well as uh, regulatory action that could take place at the federal level to um, kind of help prevent um, the types of things that we saw in that New Yorker article and in that 2019, those 2019 OIG articles from occurring, a little bit of additional oversight. Yeah, it feels to me like when I read all this and, you know, some of the things that are happening to hospice, if you were you know, around home care in the mid nineties when, you know, we yeah. had this sort of thing happening with home health and moratoriums put into place and rehab, it all feels kind of similar um, to that. Uh, you know, I, I did my exit in the nineties <laughs> from home health strictly <laughs> over to hospice because of um, some of that. Was, stuff, was that know? timing um, serendipitous, well... you know, with everything that was going on? <laughs> Because you're right, it does feel the same way that it did then. Um, it really you know, we does. Had back, yeah, this great big, you know, 
spotlight was shining on home health at the time. And some of the same things that we're seeing occurring in hospice with, you know, a lot of new entrants, um, meaning new hospice providers coming on board, um, maybe being sold very shortly after right. um, becoming certified. A lot of the same things right, um, right. that we saw with home health um, before Operation Restore Trust. And um, we know what to expect. I think we also learned from that. Yeah, I um, think so. There were, yeah, there were things that needed to change and they did. And we can um, take those lessons learned and apply them in hospice now. And hopefully that will um, bring us on the more straight and narrow path. You know what? I think um, somehow in my mind, I think, oh, uh, people would never consider this happening in hospice care. You know, hospice is sacred, you know, but it's still a business. And, you know, a couple of years ago when uh, something came out and um, I I don't know if it was the Wall Street Journal or one of those prominent papers about hospice being a great investment, that just, I think, Mm -hmm. pushed the floodgates open for uh, a you know, upping the ante on some of these, you know, I'm buying a hospice for an investment rather, like you said, for the right reasons of, of going into hospice. I, you know, I find yeah, myself I now when I meet somebody and I, I say, you know, th- this is my, um, this is what I do. Uh, I've been in this uh, space for a, a long time. Um, now, if they say to me, oh yeah, my grandmother had hospice care. Now I have to ask, how was her experience or did you Mm -hmm. have a good experience rather than, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was just a given that you had a great experience with hospice, but that's not so much the case, is it? It is not. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, not everybody even knew about hospice. So now um, I think we have progressed a lot more people know about hospice and know what to expect Um, when receiving hospice care, which is good. And we want even more individuals who are at that final stage of life to understand and know what benefits are available to them. We don't want to see that hindered in any way. Um, And I think that's important to keep that in mind as, as we move forward. But I think you're right, like with any business um, and really even Sometimes we talk about for-profit or not-for-profit hospices. There are for-profit and not-for-profit healthcare providers throughout the entire healthcare spectrum. Right, Um, right. And all have to um, approach care in the same way. And what really needs to happen is making sure that all of them, um, even if you're in it for a business, because there's nothing really wrong with trying to be in a business that serves individuals, as long as you make sure that you're doing that the way it is intended to be done. Exactly. And don't forget what your true North is, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and as long as you keep that at the forefront of everything that you do and, um, you stay abreast of, how best to do that, I think everything will be fine. But I think we probably are going to be seeing some changes over the next um, year, couple of years. Yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right. To make sure that everybody's doing that. Yeah. Well, we, you know, if it's, if it's something that's going to promote uh, compliance and quality with a optimal outcome um, for patients and families, I know, 
Um, you feel that way. I feel that way. Chap feels that way. Knack feels that way. So, you know, whatever we can do to turn this boat around and get it going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's all for that. You know, that's one thing um, that's a real positive that's come out of this recently. You know, there's several national associations that represent terminally ill individuals, their interest and hospice providers. And one of the positive that's really come out of this is that all of those national associations are working together. Um, we are committed to making sure that only hospice providers who are doing the right things are in the hospice space. And I'm really pleased to see that, to see that everybody is working together and um, we're all here to work with CHAP and accrediting organizations and surveyors, um, CMS, program integrity folks, the OIG. We all want to work together to eliminate these bad actors. Absolutely. Collaboration is is most required at this point. So Katie, I'm saving the best for last, I think, which might be kind of a little gift, but can you tell us about the telehealth recertification? Um, the uh, blip you had in your, in your newsletter. Uh, so what's that all about? Great, great. Um, change for hospices, at least uh, through December 31st of 2024, um, that um, CMS is going to allow um, hospices to utilize um, telehealth. Um, this is something that I, I really think is a value add it is. that we've gotten really from going through the pandemic. You know, we hospices have always been able to use some sort of telecommunications, whether it's picking up the telephone or, um, you know, one-way video, two-way video. We've always been able to use that to supplement what we're doing. And I think CMS is now finally recognizing that it's time to look at ways that um, we can um, bring that into the mainstream and how we're delivering care and this change to, um, or extension, I should say, really, to allow hospices um, to use telehealth with recertifications uh, through 2024 um, will, I think, provide um, an opportunity for us in hospice to look at ways that we can provide care more efficiently. This is one of the ways that we can um, help deal with this workforce shortage um, that we're seeing and maybe not having real quick access to physicians, um, to nurse practitioners. I think we are going to see probably some permanent change coming. I think that um, CMS will start to collect data, at least we hope, um, collect some data on um, how telehealth is being utilized, not just for recertifications for hospice, but also how it's being utilized to supplement those in-person visits. They're doing it with home health. There are three new um, G codes actually that have been added to um, home health claims. Yay! Um, where, and I'm hoping to see that come to hospice eventually, so that we move just beyond, you know, the uh, recertification component and into recognizing these visits. 
That's so great. It doesn't mean that CMS is paying for them on home health side. They're not. I no, but at least they're, but they're, they're, not, they're tracking they're not doing them that and, yet. and can measure some. Right. Right. Yeah. That's important. Um, yeah. No, that's good news to hear about uh, on the home health side. Hopefully that can come to hospice. And you said the most important phrase, I think, when you're talking about this topic is to supplement in-person visits, you know, because we can easily see this going to the dark side of you know, replacing in-person right, right. visits um, rather than supplementing. I, I do think um, this is a value add on the hospice side, um, particularly uh, for individualizing that care that a patient and family might need. So that's great news. And you got to deliver it to all the listeners. It's great news. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up here because we talked about a lot of important things today. And I want to thank you, Katie, uh, for joining the podcast um, to share all of this important information. Any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, first, thank you very much for having me. I enjoy your tap cast. Um, hard for me to say chat cast, but I, I do listen to all of them <laughs> and um, you have some excellent relevant topics. So thank you for inviting me here today to share um, information. And I think um, just in parting, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing and what CHAP is doing um, to advance care for the patients that we serve, but also to the hospices out there who are listening. Um, I think this is the year to really buckle down and really revisit, as as you said, Jennifer, kind of what your true north is and uh, revisit how are you doing this? Are you doing it in a way that um, meets that true north and still provides you um, with the finances that you need in order to keep doing that? That's so well spoken and reciprocal thanks to you at NAC uh, and your colleagues for uh uh, the collegial relationship that we do share with you that, you know, we're all, we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. So thank that's you. That's right. We're all in this together. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, um, that's it for today. Uh, the CHAP team and I thank you out there in listening land for taking the time out of your day to plug into our podcast. Hopefully uh, you've taken more than one small pearl of wisdom away from our conversation today with Katie Weary. Uh, so again, thank you for joining and stay safe and well, and thanks for all you do. Bye.